got you live and laughing. All right, guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Under the Dome. It's always more fun to do a game after we win. Um, it's a lot, a uh, lot, lot of stuff to talk about. We're down to the last two games of the season, the 2016 season. Um, two teams fighting for a playoff spot, one in a little bit better shape, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. The Saints need to win both games and uh, have a lot of help. Um you know, all that needs to happen is uh, we basically need God to come down and part the uh, NFC for us so we can go to the playoffs. But I'm not interested in, in the playoffs tonight. I'm more interested in playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> well, it would not be a Saints broadcast. We could talk about Jim Moore. No, I'm not interested in the playoffs. I'm more interested in the Saints finishing strong at 8-8. Eight and eight and leading into a much better 2017 season. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Ulrich, and our Jim Moore imitator here, Sean Williams. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Doing good, man. Uh, feeling a lot better. Thank you guys. Thank everybody for uh, the well wishes and the prayers and the support. Uh, been a little bit under the weather for a few weeks now, but uh, feels good to, to get back into the swing of things. Uh, we got a... A special guest tonight, uh, an old friend of mine, guy that uh, I've been friends with for a, a pretty good while, dating back to uh, to our days together at uh, ProFootballSpot.com. Uh, he, let me find the right notebook, <laughs> David Harrison. Uh, David good friend of yours. You got to dig up notes to remind yourself what you know about him. Close oh, personal friend. I got you. I'm stalling, dude. <laughs> okay. Building the anticipation. Um, no, David covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, for the Pewter Plank on uh, the fan-sided network. He also does draft analysis and scouting reports, uh, et cetera, for profootballspot.com. Uh, as a matter of fact... Last year, he made uh, made an accurate what we uh, we eventually learned to be an accurate uh, accurate call when he said that Michael Thomas was going to be uh, a first round selection. Um, he's he's his work has been featured on SI.com and uh, also FoxSports.com. Without any further ado, uh, you guys help me make him welcome tonight. Mr. David Harrison, how are you, brother? I'm good, Sean. Thanks for having me on, Alan. Appreciate you guys having me back on. Uh, yeah, you know, um, like like I said, uh, covering the Buccaneers for the Peter Plank for a little over a year now. Um, been fortunate enough to be to be uh, to have some of my stuff put up on, like you said, SportsIllustrated.com and FoxSports.com. Uh, it's a good feeling to see some of your stuff get published by some of those guys. And then, uh, yeah, going, you know, Michael Thomas, uh, gotta love him. Um, definitely a first round talent. Uh, that you guys got to steal there in the second round. Uh, couldn't be more jealous, you know. Um, and somebody, y'all didn't have to face him uh, the first game. Yeah, right? yeah, we had, we had the benefit uh, of him having to sit out, you know. Unfortunately, you know, you never like to see players get injured, but it's part of the business. Um, but he's, he's going to be back. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's going to have a huge impact on what happens uh, this weekend. So, looking forward to seeing him on the field, just not looking forward to seeing him probably do some damage against the Bucks. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, David, let me ask you something. Um, have you been at all surprised by the level of success that the Buccaneers have, in, have managed to achieve this year? Because I, I know that um, preseason show, the, the big two-hour show that we did uh, the night before the season kicked off, nobody really, uh, except for me and you, I think, uh, picked Tampa to finish uh, second. But it seems like they're, uh, they're, they're putting forth a very good, very uh, substantial effort, and it's it's paying dividends for them. Right, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I had them. Uh, I think I predicted in the preseason about nine or ten wins. Um, you know, they're definitely nearing that mark and could potentially reach that mark uh, if they went out or uh, if they had one of the, one of the last two. But I, you know, I would be lying if I said I predicted the way it would happen. Um, you know, uh, going into the bye week, it almost seemed like, all right, well, let's start getting, let's start looking at who the top five prospects are going to be coming out of college because this is, this thing is sinking fast. But this team has shown, you know, we were, we were speaking before, before we went live, and resiliency is the word. Um, you know, it just so happens that I'm a, I'm a certified resiliency trainer, and this team is the <laughs> definition of resiliency. You know, uh, I mean, uh, to see the growth that they've, that they've, they've experienced during the season has been great. And going from the last decade of what the Bucks have, have gone through, it really, it was, it was less expected. Um, the fan base, the writers, you know, I think everybody who's around the Buccaneers on a regular basis, nobody really saw it coming or ex- expected it, but it's been great to see. So look, really looking forward to see how they finish out the year. Either way, it's a success, you know, but right now it's a moral success. And nobody wants more when we want the real thing. So hopefully they can, they can pull together, you know. Well, you know, one of the things I've been mentioning Tampa Bay a lot this past week because uh, Jason Lockenfor posted a story that the Saints, and, you know, it's that time of the year, the coaching carousel starts up. Uh, we've already seen two head coaches fired. Uh, so Jason Lockenfor posted a story that the Saints could be opening to tr- open to trade Sean Payton for draft picks. And one of the things I keep trying to point out is uh, – what happened to Tampa Bay when they made the trade for John Gruden? Uh, here you had a team that was pretty close to going to the Super Bowl. Uh, they just kept losing in the NFC Championship or in the playoffs um, under Tony Dungy. They get Gruden, go to the Super Bowl the next year in 2002, play Gruden's dream team, the Raiders, who he knew so well in the famous footage of, uh, of him throwing the passes just like uh, Rich Gannon. But after that Super Bowl, it's like the Bucks got old and they had quarterback problems. And you had one really good season when they made the playoffs, and then they had never been in the playoffs or even in first place since 2008. So it's kind of a cautionary tale. You might get instant gratification, but you're going to get, in the long term, it's going to end up hurting you. And we, we see that now at Tampa Bay. Like you mentioned, it's been over a decade uh, since they've won anything. Uh oh, his volume dropped out. Dave. Okay, David, I, th- I think we lost your volume. Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay. okay, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, um, uh, what I was saying is, you know, the trade for Chucky really didn't work out for either side because uh, neither side has really had any success since that trade happened, other than that one season where they both met in the playoff or right. the Super Bowl. 
Um, the Bucks have been to the playoffs a couple times. You know, everybody's making a, a big deal over the Raiders getting back to the to the playoffs finally, uh, which is great. But you know, I, I hate all the talk about Sean Payton leaving the Saints because Sean Payton is is in my opinion one of the top five coaches in the NFL, and the Saints would be crazy to move on from him. You know, you know what you have in Sean Payton. You know who you have as a leader and as a coach, and there's no reason to to trade him off for a potential rookie who, you know. Uh, maybe, you know, could be the next Barry Sanders because you guys need a running back, but maybe he could be the next Trent Richards. Richardson. You have, you have no idea what you're going to get out of that trade. Um, you know what you have, John Payton, and you know you have a coach that the fan base can get behind. I know some of the fans, you know, might be panicking a little bit and kind of saying, let's pull the plug. But, uh, you know, I'd hate, I'd hate to see it. Um, you know, it, I think it'd just be a, a really bad move for the franchise uh, in general. Uh, I, I agree. agree. I agree. Uh, you know, I, I also go through the history of this franchise, and it's just like Tampa. You know, it's it's more horror stories than it is you know positive years. Uh, you know, it's our owner our owner is ninety years old, um, so for him to start over again, uh, and you're going to hope that you get a coach as good as Sean Payton, you probably it's probably not going to happen. You probably end up with a, a Jeff Fisher type of coach, a guy who will probably maybe get one good season out of, but the rest will be mediocre to losing seasons, and you're on a long road to rebuilding again. So, and Tampa's been going through that since Gruden left. Uh, you know, how many coaches y'all went through? Y'all went through, what, three three different coaches? Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. been more than I even care to, to care to count at this moment. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a big a big advocate that, you know, you, you should marry your coach to your quarterback and – and that's what happened when Drew and Drew and Sean got together. You know, they, that's exactly what that franchise yeah. needed. They brought the franchise back to life. You know, them and a lot of other players that you guys have talked about uh, on a regular basis. And you know, Drew Brees is coming towards the end of his career, but there's nothing that says you can't marry Sean Payton to a new quarterback um, and and rebuild this thing and bring it back to back to life. Um, that's why I hate seeing like Gus Bradley. You know, I like Gus Bradley a lot. Um, I think he's a good coach. I don't think uh, you know. Some of the things haven't worked out, obviously, and there's a reason they let him go. But uh, to pull the plug on Gus Bradley, you're telling me you're going to pull the plug on Blake Bortles as well is the way I look yeah. at it. And then looking at Los Angeles, you know, Jared Goff just got in there. You're, you're getting rid of Jeff Fisher. You know, who's his coach going to be? And does that coach want Jared Goff? Because if he doesn't, then you, you've just set your franchise back years, you know. Uh, so I, I, I'm not a big fan of the way that the NFL is on with their coaches and how coaches have such a short timeline. The day the draft happened, uh, I made no two made no bones about it. I felt like um, when the Rams selected Goff, they basically that was a signal to me that Fisher was going to be coaching for his job uh, because you can't mortgage the immediate future of your team without getting some kind of turnover for it. And for, I, I don't, you know, I was going to say the funny thing about the Rams is here you got golf and you've got um, uh, Gurley. You know, those are yeah. two good cornerstones to build a franchise around. You have to kind of fix that offensive line, get him a couple of receiving weapons, uh, you know, because Tavon Austin is just too small to be a primary threat. And you've got a pretty good nucleus of a defense. Uh, you know, so there's a lot there in Los Angeles to work. You just have to get the right kind of coach and the right kind of people to make those get those final pieces in there 
And you really have a strong team that could be that could come out of there. So whoever gets that job, and it should be an offensive coach, but whoever gets that job has a real good chance to turn in a young, dominant team very quickly. And yeah. I think, you know, people look at teams like the Cowboys who we were talking about off air, and they kind of think that that's how it should work. You know, you go draft a quarterback, draft a running back, and boom, you should start winning right away. They don't realize how many years of 8-8 eight and eight that the Cowboys go through and how many years of drafting offensive linemen year after year after year before they finally yeah. built this wall yeah. that yeah. you plug in Platt, Prescott and Elliott, and then all of a sudden you've got a, a good team. Exactly. And, and, One of those decade-long overnight sensations. Yeah, exactly. And you look at Tony Romo, you know, a lot of people are talking about, well, you know, what do you do if Tony gets hurt? Tony gets hurt because Tony runs. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I've seen Tony get hurt on a pocket sack, you know. Uh, yeah, every time I see him getting hurt, it's because he's getting hit on the run. And if he would just learn to throw the ball away, uh, live to play another down instead of trying to get out there and make things happen, then, you know, he'd probably be a little bit healthier than he is today. But I think any quarterback, I don't want to say, I don't want to take too much away from Dak because I really like Dak coming out of the draft. I thought he was very underrated. But, I mean, that kid is under zero pressure. Uh, there's not a quarterback yeah. in the NFL that probably wouldn't look pretty good uh, behind that line. Not saying they would look as good necessarily, but, you know, you put Case Keenum behind that line in Dallas with Ezekiel Elliott running the ball and Des Bryant out there with uh, Cole Beasley in them, and he's going to look a lot better than he did in L.A. this year. Yeah. Case? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, Case, you know, Case is not a franchise quarterback. You know, I don't think anybody has any uh, imagination that Case Keenum's going to be a franchise, you know, quarterback like Dan Marino or Joe Montana anytime soon. But you know what? I think if the Rams, I think if the Rams go, you know, maybe a Laramie Tunsil, maybe a Ronnie Stanley, uh, you know, maybe a, a Laquan Treadwell, maybe a Michael Thomas, you know, um, I think they have a much better chance. And I think that quarterback and that offense has a much better chance than they do this year going on with, you know, Tavon Austin, who, uh, you know, he's a he's a, he's what I call a screen superhero. You know, uh, that guy can turn a screen into an 80 yard play. But what is he doing 20, 25 yards down the field? He's really not going to do anything. Uh, in, in the yeah. Court. And if you, don't, if you don't have an offensive line that can that can protect you right. so you can wait for that receiver to get downfield and get open. You know, it's it's no help. And, and like a, a lot of times you just look at the Rams receiving court and you just go, OK, well, who do you have? Kenny Britt? Really? I mean, you really don't have much of anything. The rookie quarterback, you need to have some number one physical receiver to pair him up with. Absolutely. And that's what I was saying in all my draft Um, coverage, all my mock drafts, that the Rams were not ready to install a rookie quarterback. And I think that they've just shown that. Yeah. Well, they did. They they went about it backwards because they they got the the quarterback before they got the pieces put in place to protect the guy. Um, well, if you go in there with a plan and, for long-term success uh, and you go ahead and throw the rookie quarterback to the wolves and let like, kind of like Troy Aikman, just let him get the crap beat out of him uh, for a year. <laughs> and, but with the idea, okay, we're going to be drafting high next year. We're going to go with this player. We're going to get this player. Now, of course they traded so many of those uh, top picks to move up that high, yeah. uh, the Rams are really going to, it's going to make them, it's going to take it a lot longer for them to develop uh, Goff and give him the weapons he needs unless they're willing to spend a lot of money on free agent receivers, which may or may not work out. Um, well, that brings me the, back. A, yeah. That brings me back around to um, a point that I wanted to make. Uh, 
to to get back to the the conversation you guys were having earlier about uh, Coach Payton being traded. Uh, I think that the only team that would be in a um, that might possibly be in that type of uh, situation with both the interest and uh, what have you in Peyton would be the Rams. But at the same time, um, the Rams gave up all their draft picks that they could have uh, could have used in a deal like that just to get Goff last year. So uh, I've never really given that uh, – that trading Peyton type stuff, I've never really given it any credence whatsoever because of that. Right. And you'd be trading to an NFC team. You'd probably rather trade into an AFC team. And uh, unless you want to condemn him to, to Cleveland, I really can't see anybody, you know, that they really could make that kind of trade with. Um, well, speaking of young quarterbacks, uh, we're seeing Jameis Winston really grow up this year. Uh, Winston and um, uh, Mariota, they're kind of joined at the hip uh, because they were taking one, two in the draft. And we've, we've seen Mariota kind of make that leap forward. I don't know if Tennessee will make the playoffs this year, but clearly he's on the upswing. Uh, whereas Tampa, you know, you're seeing the growth of Winston, but is, do you think he is – taking that next next step or do you think he uh still has a lot to learn or how do you see him a little bit of both i think he's definitely taking the next step i i think he as an individual player has he's progressed a little bit more than Mariota has i know there's you know uh there's definitely a case to say that i'm biased on that on that aspect but <laughs> um i think legitimately if you look at you know marcus marcus definitely has the better offensive line in its current formation the way they're they're playing right now and he's got the better running back uh you know i love doug martin but you know let's let's be real uh, Tennessee definitely has a better running game over Tampa, but Jameis has the receivers. You know, even if it is just Mike Evans for the most part and Cameron Brake, you know, Adam Humphreys mm-hmm. has been effective uh, when they use him correctly. You know, but uh, I think that Jameis is doing more with less in the sense that, you know, uh, that kid's getting, you know, less than three seconds uh, snap to get the ball out. Um, and he's still making plays. You know, he's dodging. He's dodging defenders left and right the way you'd expect Mario to be dodging defenders. And, you know, and, and Marcus is definitely holding his own. Don't get me wrong. Um, I just – I think sure. as an individual player, you know, if you put them side by side and take the rosters away, I think that uh, Jameis has developed just a little bit uh, over them. But I think at the end of the day, they're going to they're gonna have good careers if they can both stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really uh, – I'm not going to say surprised because uh, that was what I – Pat me on the back. That was what I, I I sort of predicted as far as the Bucks go. Um, I always I said last year that if Winston stayed off of the uh, police scanners and took <laughs> care of business, that uh, that Tampa would take off, and which is basically what's happened. That brings me to another uh, another question that I have for you, David. Um, this past Sunday night, you guys squared off in uh, in excuse me, Dallas. I apologize <laughs> in Dallas um, against the Cowboys, who, um, from all practical intents and purposes, is the the best team in the NFC right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys came up just short. I mean, it was a back and forth battle. Uh, there were a lot of people 
uh, judging from the reactions on uh, ESPN radio, for example, uh, there were a lot of people that were uh, really somewhat surprised that uh, Tampa was able to hang in there with the Cowboys for as long as they did. Um, what did that game tell you in, uh, in terms of where this team is and uh, – where this team needs to go from this point to get to the next level. Uh, that game told me is that the, they need to do anything and everything they can to keep Mike Smith uh, on their staff next year because uh, he's done a lot with this defense. This defense, if you look at the the roster itself, is really not a whole lot different than what they had last season. Um, but they're making the, – the new guys that are on the roster are making a lot of impact plays, and I think that comes a lot from the coaching, you know, uh, so I think that's really the biggest thing that I've taken away from this recent success. And then again, resiliency, you know, um, uh, Buccaneers teams of the past few years would have, would have buckled after that first half. That first half was horrible. And, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into our, our private chats from the, uh, the Peter Plank staff, but you know, there was definitely some worrisome comments, uh, amongst each other, you know, while we're watching that first half. But then to see them come out in that second half and just come out on fire and come out looking to attack them, I think the Cowboys were surprised. I honestly think I think the Cowboys went in the locker room, and part of them was like, "Yeah, it's the Bucks, and and we got them down. We've been we've been holding them in check, and, and we got this." And then they came out, and it wasn't the same old Bucks. Um, but it's important to remember too. I think that you know the Cowboys left twelve point or uh, uh, six points on on the board themselves in that first half, and you know you add six points to that first half lead, and it, it might actually be a little bit of a different situation, but. Um, I mean, yeah. four turnovers and you, and you lose by six, it still sucks and it, it hurts to lose. But, you know, to, to only lo- to lose by less than one score after giving up the ball four times, twice inside your own 30, uh, I mean, that shows you that you can at least hang. Um, you obviously want to come out on top of that one, but at least you know you can hang. And it's got to breed a little bit of confidence in the locker room. Yeah. Does that sound familiar uh, at all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. But, I mean – what I had said, and this was going back to the uh, preseason show, I think I think uh, Levante David is prob- arguably the second best linebacker in this in this conference, oh, this division, I should say. Uh, you know, you still have to give Luke Keatley the uh, the number yeah. one slot, but Levante David clearly that is a linebacker who can make plays on any defense and make any defense yeah. look a lot better. Uh, he is straight out of the Derrick Brooks mold as far as. Yeah. You know his sideline, the sideline speed, just the uh, his his viciousness in the tackles and the hits. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So you know, uh, I know he would hate to see Mike Smith go um, because he just he really thrives in his defense much better than he did in the cover cover two scheme that um, that Lovey Smith was running. Um, who would you say is the unsung hero of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Hmm. There's there's a few of them, especially after looking at the Pro Bowl results. Uh, oh, I don't even want to go into that. That's a joke. <laughs> it is. Um, it's a joke. And I'm not even know, saying a lot of any Saints really deserve to be on that list. I'm just saying it's a, it's a joke list. Yeah, there's, the, there's a lot. Everybody of, uh, but Saints Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of you know a lot of you can see where some of the fan bases come out of that. Uh, but yeah. you know. Um, honestly, I think it's really only outside the Bucks fan base, but, uh, to, to name one of the few 
Quan Alexander would would probably be one. I mean, uh, okay. this young man yeah, is leading the that. team in tackles. He's he's all over the field. You know, twenty one tackles mm-hmm. against the Cowboys. Uh, you know, he's the guy who famously. You are welcome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he's an LSU product. You know, uh, doing it big. But um, you know, when he he sat out the last four games of last season due to uh, due to suspension for uh, for a banned substance. Um. But when he when he left the team for those last four games, he was leading the team in tackles. He's leading the team in tackles again this year. He's leading the NFL in tackles, uh, and it's really not even that close. It's it's about a game's worth of tackles away from the second place person, and he's an alternate on the Pro Bowl team. You know, it's it's great that he's an alternate, but how many how many seasons do we see a guy uh, dominating the tackle numbers the way that he is uh, for a team that's fighting for a playoff spot become an alternate for the Pro Bowl team? You know, right. um, Bucks fans know him. Bucks fans love him. Uh, so as a Bucks fan and in the Bucks community, he's not underrated. But I think on the NFL field or the NFL community, he's definitely underrated. Um, and then uh, Josh Robinson. Um, Josh Robinson, again, he's been getting a lot of love from the Buccaneer media and from the Buccaneer fan base. Um, but I don't think people quite understand what he's really brought to the field on the, on, the, on his special team side of the house. Him and Brian Anger have, have teamed up to be quite quite a lethal duo as far as pinning teams, uh, you know, inside their own 20, and it's really helped out a lot. Yeah, you, uh, y'all did a great job uh, two weeks ago against the Saints. Um, I think it was like three or four drives that the Saints started inside their own five, one of them on, in, yeah. on the one-yard line. So, yeah. you know, that, that – that is such a weapon that people forget because that's all the hidden yardage. Uh, it doesn't show up in the stat sheets or anything like that. It's just, but it makes it that much harder to start in the one as opposed to the uh, 25. Definitely. Um, so what is your takeaway from, uh, we didn't talk, we haven't talked about the previous game. What was your biggest takeaway from that game in Tampa? And what do you think can be repeated uh, this this Christmas Eve, uh, my biggest takeaway from the last game was honestly missed opportunities by the Saints. Um, I think the, the Saints the Saints probably should have won that game. To be quite honest with you, um, two drop touchdown passes. You know, uh, you don't see Brandon Cooks drop a pass like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think ever. You know, he he probably didn't drop passes like that in Pop Warner. Um, so that was a shocker. Uh, uh, well, Terrence just for Pettit, the. Ra- just for the record, with Kobe Fleener, it's not anything new. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to lay off of that one, but uh, but Cadet. I mean, Cadet. You know, you you said it yourself. Levante Davis, one of the better uh, linebackers in the NFL, and Cadet had him. You know, Cadet beat him. And, uh, you know, man to man, David got David got juked out of his cleats, and Cadet was wide open to walk into the end zone and just dropped it. You know, um, I think this game is going. Uh, to be a lot different, actually. Um, I know a lot of people, and, and I'm a little bit different on that mindset, and even the players, you know, watching some of the player interviews uh, from earlier today, a lot of them are kind of expecting the same type of game, with the same type of game plans, because, they, you know, like you said, it's only been 13 days. But I think it's actually it might actually be different. I think we're going to see more Hightower out of the Saints. I think we're going to see more Cadet out in, in the passing routes. Um, I don't think we're going to see as much Ingram um, as we did last time. Um, Michael Thomas obviously is going to have a big – uh, impact on the game. I think uh, I think Coleman uh, against uh, JV and Elliott for the Buccaneers is going to be a big matchup, and I think that 
Coleman definitely has a has an advantage over Elliott with his size and his strength. And if, if Drew Brees can exploit that, then I think that's that's a spot where they might have some problems. And you start doing that, you know, you're going to bring Bradley McDougal up to help him, and that's where Brandon Cooks can try to get behind either uh, Vernon Hargraves yeah. or, or Brent Grimes. Um, and then from the Buccaneers side of the ball. You know, they're, they're banged up a little bit on the defensive line still. Jerry McCoy is still nursing injury. You know, I doubt William Goldson is going to be in there. Uh, so their rotation up front is going to be a little bit hampered. And I think that uh, that's going to help uh, Hightower get going a little bit better. Well, I've, you, you probably have a good shot of moving them all a little bit better because um, uh, Kenny Vaccaro is yeah. on a four-game suspension. He, uh, he decided to go ahead and serve a suspension after right. the – I don't, I don't think he played the Bucks game. I don't remember. No, he, he didn't. He didn't play the Bucks game. I was actually going to ask about yeah. Bro. Is uh, is is Bro going to be back on the field? I uh, well, they didn't practice today. Uh, tomorrow's the first Still day of practice. Yeah, he's got a uh, he's got an injured shoulder, and um, they think it could be separated, but we're not sure because yeah. you know getting getting injury reports out of uh, Sean Payton is like trying to get. Uh, you know, nuclear secrets out of the Kremlin. He just does not offer any more than he actually has to. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it could be it's anything from a bruised shoulder. Yeah, a bruised shoulder or a separated shoulder. We don't know. We won't know until we start seeing whether or not he's in, he's shown up for practice. Um, it'd yeah, be nice to say. That's a big thing. Uh, you know, if he's not yeah. on the field, you know, I think that's definitely going to open things up for the Bucks, along with, you know, Kenny Vaccaro obviously being out. Uh, but I mean, I wouldn't sleep on Roman Harper though either. I mean, he's you know had to break some of the rust off, but you know he's got a couple games under his belt, and that guy's a good vet for a reason. You know, he gave the Bucks problems last year uh, in Carolina, so I wouldn't you know I wouldn't I wouldn't call that a loss necessarily. No, it's just uh, right now with uh, Sterling Moore and B.W. Webb, and you know about Sterling Moore, Moore from mm-hmm. the from the Bucks. Um, they tend to play more of a prevent type of defense where they let the guys stay in front of them. Uh, not trying to give up anything big over the top and, you know, try and keep it all within the twenties and then just clamp down when you get inside the red zone. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it makes for a very frustrating game as a Saints fan, because you feel like they're picking up first downs left and right. Yeah. But, you know, they are doing a lot better in the red zone until this weekend. Uh, they were doing a lot, very well holding teams down. I think they, they kept Jameis Winston from scoring either a rushing or passing touchdown for the first time since college or maybe Pop right. Moore days. Yeah, it was his first time in, in, in uh, his entire big-time football career that he hasn't had a, had a touchdown. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's, that's kind of what the defense has been like right now. It, they're either being very good uh, or they've been very passive, and uh, it makes for a lot of – yeah. Tight games, you know. You feel like you can never. Yeah. The Saints can't score enough points and keep keep a distance away from another team. They have to uh, have to kind of go Madden on them. Just keep scoring every time you touch the ball. Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing that uh, Alan, you and I both, we get these questions every week. It's uh, so far this season, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, probably one of the most. Uh, most recurring storylines is um, defense shows up, offense doesn't. Offense yeah. shows up, defense doesn't. It's just those inconsistencies, you know, and, and we've discussed on here before. Um, in a, uh, a playoff or for bowl run, 
it's a lot more to it than just uh, doing this and doing it. You got to have balls to bounce your way. You got to mm-hmm. have calls that that somehow work in your favor. And we haven't had that this year. No, no, we haven't. I mean, you know, clearly that was a touchdown catch by Snead, and even review, you can't. The ball looks like it never moves, and they still rule an incomplete pass. I mean, and I'm sure Tampa's had similar games like that and similar calls like that. Yeah, um, speaking of speaking of special teams, and I hate to bring this up, but I've got to say something. Um, how does the Bucks Nation feel about their second round pick right now? <laughs> You know, most people are, are laying off of Roberto now. I love I love Berto. Every time he makes a field goal, uh, I tweet out his name, and I add an O for every make that he has. You know, uh, uh, I love the kid. I mean, you know, I, he fits, he fits I just the want to know why. I just want to know why it had to come to us before he started hitting everything. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad I'm gln he, uh, he got it figured out, you know. He's a young guy who's still going to have some misses, you know. Um, yeah. Everybody talks about Sebastian Janikowski and how he struggled when he was younger, uh, his rookie year, his first couple seasons. You know, they, they just got to get it figured out and got to learn how to play under the pressure and play under the under the NFL lights. You know, it's a, it's a different scenario. It's it's the same game, but it's a different scenario. It's a different style of kicking, too, because of the hash yeah. marks. You know, exactly. the college hash marks are so wide. Kickers get used to, you know, kicking it wide because they're so far away from the goal. Whereas, you know, the NFL is much narrower, and then they're going, you know, they're trying to keep it more of a straight angle uh, because, you know, the Saints fans, we, we've lost three games uh, because special teams breakdowns directly attributed to the kicking game. Uh, you know, three blocked kicks resulted in points. Two were blocked for touchdowns, or one was blocked for a touchdown. One was blocked and set up another touchdown, and I think a third one was blocked for two points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we – we hired uh, an ex-Buccaneer assistant to kind of help with our special teams, and it seems to have improved Lutz's uh, his takeoff. It's the, the ball's coming out much higher now, and the blocking the blocking flaws that you know that seemed to be so evident earlier seem to have been addressed. Uh, famous last words: "Y'all probably block a kick this weekend." But uh, there I mean, you go. It, it seems like he's doing much better, and you know, very quietly, Lutz has, um, you know, set the Saints' rookie record uh, for um, I think most field goals made, so going back all the way to Tom Dempsey in 1970 and 1969, which is amazing considering you think of Morton Anderson when it comes to kicks. But you know, 1982, um, Morton Anderson got hurt after a kickoff. Uh, he sat and watched a kickoff happen and after he did it, and somebody came up behind him and, and tagged him and knocked him out. Then he had the strike, and you lost nine games because of the strike. Um, so, you know, to have a, a, a young kicker set a record like that for the Saints is very impressive. So, uh, you know, I just found it interesting with Tampa's kicker, uh, a very – well-known, very successful college kicker, and then Lutz is kind of an unknown guy, and here you've got these two kickers who had some issues earlier in the season, and this game could very well go down to a kicking kicking game. We definitely yeah, both sure. play that well. I think that uh, a, a few weeks ago, there was probably no one that was uh, thought less of. I mean, you go back to the Denver uh, and – 
Um, who is that after Denver we played? Carolina. Um, yeah. You go back to those two games. There was probably no one in Houdat Nation uh, that was, was um, less thought of, maybe as a politically correct way of of looking at it. But um, th- excuse me, than uh, Lutz and to go from there and uh, and work with O'Day. Is is that correct, O'Day? Oh, yeah, O'Day. O'Day, the special teams coach, Um, yes. To work with O'Day and for him to make such a drastic change to where we are now, I think that's that's fantastic. Well, um, one last thing before we let you go. Um, What is your prediction for Sunday? You know, this is a 325 game. I'm uh, I'm guessing Christmas Eve, um, the Saints' playoff hopes are very thin. The Bucks are obviously a lot stronger. I don't know what happens if the Bucks lose, what happens to their playoff hopes. But um, basically, you know, I expect about 30,000 fans in the dome. <laughs> you know, that, that so I don't know how this is going to play out. I'm kind of mad the NFL did this to us. But uh, how do you see this game playing out? You know, um, I don't know. To be to be to be one hundred percent honest, you know, I don't know. Um, I think it's going to come down to running backs and field goal kickers. And I think no matter who wins, uh, I think the final score is going to be something like 27-24, 31-27, You know, something like that. Uh, it's not going to be in the teens. I think it's going to be definitely in the twenties, if not the low thirties. Um, but I think it's going to come down to running backs, and I think it's going to come down to field goal kickers. Like uh, kind of like you said, you know, Doug Martin was running well early in that game. They kind of went away from it, uh, you know, later on in the game. Like I said, Hightower I think was the better running back option uh, out of the backfield, and then Cadet, you know, as a pass receiver. I think both teams are going to see that. I think both teams are going to lean on that a little bit more than they did last time. Um, so that's I don't have a winner prediction. I think either one can win. Um, it's definitely going to be a good game, but I think that's 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 kind of where I'm at. I have a score prediction, but I don't really have a winner prediction. Well, you know, I'm worried it's going to be uh, <laughs> unless I'm, I'm pushing the corner, in which case it's going to be the Bucks. Yeah, there you go. I'm worried it's going to be a blackjack kind of game. Where, if it's going to be a field goal game, where it's kind of like what Pittsburgh was doing, you know, hit me, hit me, hit me. First team of yeah. twenty-one wins, you know. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I worry it's going to be that kind of game. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think being back in the Dome, um, you know, Breeze is going to definitely want to make up for um, – yeah. I think they're going to be a lot more aggressive. Having Unger back to protect, you know, and the offensive line is going to help out a little bit. Um, I think you're going to see a couple big plays by Michael Thomas, and you're going to see Breeze trying to stretch that field a little bit. But I agree with you. I think this is going to be a field goal game. I think it's going to be a running back game. Overall, the team that can run the ball the best is probably going to be the one that wins. Um, I don't. Have, I don't sure. really have a score. Uh, I kind of go, I guess, with what you're saying: 27, 24, 24, 20, One of those kind of games, and uh, either one can win. Um, I think the the players feel the pressure a lot more than the fans do. Um, I think the Bucs are going to feel a little more pressure because they can see that playoff spot. Um, the, the Saints, you know, you need a lot, a lot of help to get mm-hmm. to the playoffs. Um, 
you know, it, it, it it's really a more of a pride game for them uh, more than anything else. Um, so yeah. anyway, um, David, I'd love to have you back. Was, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through the off season too. And I'd love to have you back to talk about the draft. Sure, uh, yeah, because we could talk yeah. about you know Saints needs and you know your draft board, who you have rated, and go from there. Because um, you know once the off season kicks in, that's that's you know it's Christmas right now for regular people. April and May are Christmas for Saints fans and Buck fans. I mean, any NFL fan, you know, you, you, you can't wait for the draft because you envision you're going to get the guy that's really going to make it, you know, make you yeah. a superstar team. So, <laughs> um, and there are yeah. some people that have been speculating and lining out these picks and trying to set up these, uh, this potential uh, series of movements that we're going to do y'all please excuse me I, I have the hiccups <laughs> setting up these uh these series of, of draft moves and they don't a bit more know now uh it's like i told some someone earlier uh i want to say yesterday suppose you you got what two excuse me two games left in the season now Okay, you go on through, and um, the day after the Adla Atlanta game, both uh, Zach Streif and Jari Evans announced their retirement. Well, that completely alters your uh, your draft strategy, I would think. It definitely does. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I don't really get into it. Uh, I Sure, I kind of uh I make make notice of who the guys are that they're talking about uh and who's interesting to follow and usually you can get a pre pretty good idea of who is going to fall with within excuse me with within about three or four players there no. which players are going to fall into the slot where you you supposedly will be picking. Um, well, you know, aside from that, free agency determines so much of what your draft strategy is going to be, how the board shakes out, you know, depending on where you're picking. Uh, all it takes is some wild card player to get picked early, and suddenly now the whole dynamic of the draft changes. But, uh, you know, I, at this point, it's really just addressing needs. Uh, who do you think would fit best with what team and what their needs are. And that's kind of where, we, where I'd like to go with this, yeah. you know, when we, when we uh, bring David back, you know, just who his top players are on the board and what does he sure. see as the needs for the Bucks? What does he see as needs for the Saints? Um, you know, that, that, that'd be great. Well, um, any of you guys that, oh. uh, any of you guys that have the opportunity to follow this guy, he uh he covers the Bucks like um like no one else out there that I've seen. He's uh passionate, um, knowledgeable and dedicated and uh, I'm really proud of the guy. And he's freezing right now. <laughs> and he's freezing right now in that in that in that uh in that garage. So uh David's actually David's actually in upstate New York, uh for y'all don't know. He may be a Buck fan at heart, but he lives up in New York, so could be worse. He could be a Jets fan. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's my, my boss of the Peter Plank is a Jets fan, so. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm try- I, I feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for him. I'm trying to see the uh, the line on this game this weekend. Um, uh, and like I really know how to read this stuff. Um, New Orleans is a three-point underdog, I think. Three-point underdog? Really interesting. That's uh, usually give you three points for being at home. Yeah, I was figuring at home they'd be favored by a little bit. We had a, we had a comment on uh, YouTube that says the Saints are going to win 48-28. to that would ruin my holiday spirit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Really, really, uh, you should try it. You you never know how much how well it'll make you feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, David, how yeah. how can everybody uh keep up with you and, and find your work, man? Uh yeah, you know, like we said before, uh, the peterplank.com is definitely where I do most of my stuff. Uh, my draft coverage We'll actually be expanding this year on that site as well. Um, and then, of course, once we get into the draft uh, season on profootballspot.com, definitely be looking to get some scouting reports out there again and uh, hopefully get to a couple pro days. You know, I'm right up the road from Syracuse now, so maybe I can hit them up and, uh, you know, go attend their pro day. And then on Twitter, I'm at ADWDA11. Uh, I'm always available, you know, always on there to talk football, whether it's real fantasy or draft. You know, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on again, of course. I, you know, look forward to coming on again. Anytime you need me, let me know. All righty, David. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. How does a guest have their Twitter handle labeled under their picture and I don't? Uh, I'm here. You have to get a little more technically, technically savvy. You have to get more tech savvy. <laughs> All right, Thank guys. You so much for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, Thank you very much. Thanks, David. Thank you. You'll get warm. Will do, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, is the, uh, David Harrison of the Peter Plank Report for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, so, Alan, uh-huh. excuse me, looking looking back on the uh, on the the week that was in the desert. What were uh, what were some of your Biggest observations from that? Well, Drew Brees is clearly not washed up. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was a classic Drew Brees performance. Uh, he was practically flawless, um, you know, except for the one sack fumble that they returned for a touchdown. They gave up a couple other sacks. But, you know, Drew Brees really made no mistakes. He was very – he'd spread that ball out a lot. Um, they really frustrated Patrick Peterson because Peterson yeah. likes to hang cover the, the best receiver on the field, which is it's very telling because in the first half, Peterson on Michael Thomas, the rookie, you know, and, and he shadowed Michael Thomas. Well, what happens? Brandon and Cook just lights him up. So then they move over to Cooks, uh, and then Thomas starts getting involved in the game. And, you know, it was con- it was a constant swap where Peterson is chasing somebody and breeze is finding the other guy um and yeah i think the honey badger played a little bit but he was pretty much ineffective uh you had a guy a safety i think line up off sides a couple times for, for, for uh for the cardinals i know von bell did it too um yeah you know so it was uh 
it was less of a good performance by the defense. In fact, it was a pretty poor performance by the defense because, um, you know, Carlson Palmer just missed a couple wide-open guys that really could have led to some big plays and kind of changed the outcome of the game. So Breeze had to be as good as he was. Um, yeah. The, the last thing I'm going to say is, you know, the Ingram temper tantrum on the sideline. Uh, I know a lot of people suspected that it was something over a contract issue where he was supposed to get paid based on how many touchdowns he scores or whatever. And, you know, it, that's kind of a – even before it was disproven, I thought that was kind of ludicrous because I'm like, dude, you got two more games to score a touchdown. You know, if you only need one touchdown to hit some kind of bonus, you're going to get it. I think it was more of a case yeah. of they're that close. This is going to be the last time – because he's looking at the clock. He knows this will be the last time they will yeah. probably score – uh, let him get the shot, and he wanted to, wanted to get, you know, a touchdown. He wanted the ego stroke of getting a touchdown. Yeah. And he felt, I guess, that Hightower had already gotten his because, you know, this was supposed to be Hightower's game. But, you know, I think Sean, you could see it in Sean Payton's face when he's talking to him and saying, hey, man, yeah. you'll, you'll get yours next week. You'll get, yeah. you'll get it next week. And uh, this is Hightower's day-to-day. And, yeah, that's how I see it. I don't see it as anything yeah. has to do with money, uh, contract, being selfish, or anything like that. I think it was just his competitive nature. Yeah. He wants to get in that scoring fest. They dropped 48 points on him. He wanted to be part of that. Well, and, I mean, you look at this team going back to uh, what game was it where he was, uh, he was benched? That was the first. Oh, uh, that was game, that was it? no, that was uh, Kansas City. After, after no, you're right. It was the first Carolina game. It was after the Kansas City game, first Carolina game because he put the ball on the ground again. Ever yeah. since then, these guys have been excuse me, fighting tooth and nail, uh, really, really competing with one another to see who's who's going to be the you next know, man up. I was gonna make. I was gonna talk about that. Uh, I didn't mention that in any of my little analysis after every game. Uh, but Ingram seems to thrive when he feels like someone is pushing him, whether it was yeah. Chris Ivory or, in this case, Hightower. Um, you know, whenever he feels like he has to fight for additional carries, he seems to play a lot harder. My son had on. Uh, Right before we went on the air, he had the uh, 2014 Saints Green Bay game, and I don't know if you remember that. That was a Sunday night game. Uh, Saints won that one, but um, that was a game where Ingram really played extremely well. But it's because you know Eddie Lacy that year was having a really good year, and he was having a really good game against the Saints. So it was like Eddie Lacy would get a big screen pass and take off and make a big play. Well, Ingram on the next drive would do the same thing, not on a screen pass, but on a big run or something like that. And it's like he needs that competitive fire, yeah. somebody always challenging, somebody always telling him he's not quite good enough. You know, you're yeah. not good enough. You, you don't deserve the ball. Well, I'll show you. And that's yeah. how he plays. When, it, when opportunities are handed to him, he doesn't play very well. He doesn't respond very well. And, I, you know, I, I don't know I would why. Say th- I would say that probably his most successful, for lack of a better way of putting it, I guess, his most successful season was the contract year a couple of, uh, what was it? Yeah. 
one or two, two years seasons ago. ago. Two years ago, 2014. Um, where he, uh, quote, unquote, needed to make a statement to get his deal. Uh, and, and he did did so go, excuse me, going away. Um, but. Yeah. And, and again, I, I don't want to say, you know, that's all he is because, you know, very quietly, and I don't give Ingram enough credit either, but uh, very quietly, Ingram is climbing up the uh, St. Stats now. Granted, if I ask the average fan to name uh, four of the Saints running backs, you know, best running backs, discounting Deuce McAllister, they might say Dalton Hayed, George Rogers. And it kind of stops after that, you know. <laughs> it was my age and your age, you'll remember Chuck Muncie, but yep. they're not going to have too many names they're going to know. And um, Ruben Mays, yeah, Ruben is somebody might say Ruben Mays, and you know, here's you know, if you look at the top four, top five, um, you know, Mark Ingram's right behind George Rogers, Dalton Hilliard. And uh, and Deuce McAllister for all time yardage, and that's given this history of the Saints running backs. It's not that hard to put together that kind of list, but it is still impressive. He's over four thousand yards, I think, combined in uh, in five seasons. Um, I think that it's going to be curious to see not just Ingram, but I mean, you have these these players like Ingram, um, Breeze where these guys are going to be content to leave their um, obviously somewhat disappointing season in terms of one-loss records. And as far as that goes, you know, the only thing that people look at at this level to determine success or failure is how many games you win and, and how many games that you lose. Mm-hmm. That um, that's what determines whether you make the playoffs or go to the Super Bowl. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, it's going to be interesting to to see where Mark Ingram, um, Brandon Cooks, Drew Brees, uh, Michael Thomas, where all these guys are content to leave their season sitting, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, where they're where they want their season to uh, to wind up at. Well, you know, this is going to sound egotistical and selfish, but I I think that, um, you know, both Thomas and Snead would like to get 1,000 yards receiving. You know, they would hit, well, like sure. to get that 1,000-yard mark. I don't know if they're going to get that or not. I'd like to see Ingram get the thousand, hit the thousand yard mark, be the first running back since Deuce McAllister in two thousand six to um, Saints running back to hit a thousand yards. Uh, he's actually pretty close. He's at eight something, uh, eight thirty, I think, or something close to that. Um, so, well, well, that he, contract he that here, much. he only missed by less than a hundred yards, right? Yeah, I, it was close. I like to see him go over a thousand, you know, just to be a thousand yard rusher. Um, and you know, I, I like to see Drew Brees hit over the five thousand mark receiving. You know, that's those are all goals that I'd like to see. And I'd like to see a couple of the Saints, even though I think the Pro Bowl, just like the NFL top one hundred list, is totally worthless. Uh, I'd like to see 
you know, a couple Saints players like Cameron Jordan, uh, Drew Brees, uh, Michael Thomas uh, be invited to the Pro Bowl. Um, you know, it's I'm going to put up post after this. I'm going to post uh, five Saints who went to the Pro Bowl back in 1979, and that was probably that was the most offensive players I think we've sent to the Pro Bowl at one time. Um, yeah, skill players uh, in '79 than we did in any other year in Saints history um, because we've sent offensive linemen, we've sent kickers. The only other quarterback outside of Archie Manning who's ever gone to the Pro Bowl. We've sent a couple of running backs, but, you know, and maybe I think we sent one receiver uh, outside of, oh, yeah, Joe Horn, Joe Horn. So we sent two receivers yeah. outside of uh, West Chandler to the Pro Bowl. We sent uh, Eric Martin one year, and we sent um, Joe Horn several times. But, you know, Saints offensive skill players do not go to the Pro Bowl for whatever reason. Well, it, it seems that um, it's pretty academic uh, in one way of looking at it. It comes down to this. You've got to win out. You've got to have basically the sun has to shine with <laughs> at this particular angle. Yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to align the planets here. Um, yeah. Basically, you need Green Bay to lose, uh, lose their two games. Um, Minnesota's already been eliminated. Uh, Carolina is barely alive. Uh, them beating Washington last night helped. I think Washington's been eliminated. Um, Tampa, you know, Atlanta is going to be interesting because if Atlanta, if Tampa loses to the Saints and, and Seattle wins, um, Atlanta basically is going to win the division, but they can't get any better. They can't improve their status, I don't think, from um, four to, to a, a first-round bye. They, I don't think they can even – I don't know. Detroit and Atlanta have the same record, but I don't know how that's going to match up with the first tiebreaker. I'm, I haven't researched that enough. But um, well, if as, Detroit uh, wins – As per Rod Walker, uh, mm-hmm. excuse me, from the ad, Advocate, Here's what has to happen. The Saints now need to win out. Mm-hmm. They have to have Tampa Bay lose to Carolina in the finale. Washington to lose to Chicago, excuse me, Chicago and Detroit. Excuse me, Chicago and the Giants. Green Bay yeah. to lose to Minnesota and Detroit. And also Chicago beat Min- excuse me, Minnesota. Those are Okay. What has to happen for the Saints to make the playoff? Okay. Suffice it to say that it's not looking good in the Huda Nation. No, no. I mean, you know, anything is possible, but I'm not. I'm not holding up hope for that. But what I was going to say, you know, Atlanta may choose to sit their starters. I don't think Julio Jones is going to play again this week. Um, they may choose to sit their starters because. If they cannot improve their their position from either fourth or third, I think they're fourth right now. Uh, they they've got nothing to play for, uh, so they may do that that last game. So it, the Saints they have to take care of business this week. It, there's no if and or buts. They have to take care of business because if you want a non losing season, you have to win this game, and then hope for a couple things to happen. And one of the things I hope happens is you know. Detroit wins and uh, 
Atlanta Atlanta wins that way. You know the Saints Atlanta can sit their starters. Um, I don't even know who Atlanta's playing this week. Um, who, uh, who are the Falcons playing this week? Give me just one second. Let's see. The ATL is Carolina. Oh, that's right. Okay. They may lose. They may lose because Carolina is not – I mean, you know, Carolina's going to remember that beating he took in the first half of the season. Uh, Carolina's not going to go quietly. They're not going to give up in this season. Um you know, I have a feeling they're going to try and do a little, get a little bit of revenge. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Um, well, well, you know, um, Alan, I look at it this way. Um, going into week one, as I, I, I invariably, I wind up looking back towards uh, that game against the Raiders there. Um, looking back there. We did not think that this was going to be a playoff team, and we were correct in that assumption. This is not a playoff team right now. Um, if you're talking about going into the playoffs just to uh, basically get it handed to you, one uh, one game in, and just to make it to say that you made it. Um, but I, I don't. I don't support that way of thinking. Just me. Uh, well, let's let's say for the sake of argument, let's say that you know the Saints when all the things that have to happen happen, and the Saints end up in the playoffs. They're going to play either Atlanta or Detroit, two teams you know that they have a revenge factor against. Um, you know, will it be one and done against something a team like that? You know, Atlanta. That's your division rival. You know, you throw out the records and everything else because it's a playoff game. And Detroit, you know, as bad as the Saints played that game, do you think that they really would play that badly again, getting a second shot at Detroit? So, no. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen or anything like that. I'm just saying it wouldn't be a disaster. You're not going against Dallas out the box. You know, you're not going to get blown out out the box. I don't think. Uh, you know, then I don't think the defense is good enough. Um, I think the offensive line is starting to show the problems it, it, we expected in, in the preseason. It's starting to show now. You know, Streif and uh, and Evans are starting to show a little bit more of their age. Uh, you know, Armstead being gone now, um, you're seeing you know the problems with Pete being up and down you know, depending on who he's playing against, and you've got a hole there at guard because Lido and, and Calamente probably comprise a good backup, uh, but not a starter if you were somehow able to merge the two of them. Um, so, you know, they're not a playoff team yet. They, they, it, it, But I don't think it would be a blowout if they ended up in a playoff game for some yeah. reason. You know, a miracle happens. But... <laughs> Regardless, I'm like I said, I, I'm pushing for eight and eight. I want an eight and eight season. Um, That's I told as, you to. As far as me, that is absolute best case scenario is to finish the season eight and eight. I thought in the beginning of the season, if you go back to that first, you know that that preseason or that season kickoff show we did when David was here last time, 
I said this was probably a seven and nine, eight and eight. I even said six and ten. Um, but I said also that I thought this would be a better seven and nine team if they ended up with that record than last year's team. And so far, I'm kind of, I'm still sticking with that. You know, I think this is a much better team. Um, I think sure. they've got a lot of, a lot of positives that came out of this. You know, some things we didn't expect to see happen have happened. Given the injuries they've had, given the amount of people they've lost early in the season, um, we've never seen this entire defense together ever. The whole the whole season, you never saw Rankins and Fairley and Davidson and you know and Cam Jordan along with the three linebackers. You know, you never saw. P.J. Williams and Bro together out there. Um, you know, P.J. Williams came in kind of as a nickel back a little bit, and then Bro got hurt, and Crawley got moved out there. And, you know, never really saw the whole defense together and knowing the system and all these other things. Uh, you you know, that's all part and parcel of this, you know. And, yeah. and so when people want to, you know, going back to our discussion we had earlier, when people talk about getting want to get rid of Sean Payton and get rid of uh, Mickey Loomis and stuff because we haven't been to playoffs in three years, um, you know, I can't see another coach taking this roster with these players that you've got right now and making this team win those games they lost by a block kick or, um, you know, a last-second touchdown that the defense gave up, or Drew Brees having a terrible game and the offense can't get anything moving. I can't see another coach fixing those problems because, you know what, every team in the league can point to a game or two they had like this. Yeah. Right now, we've had just a, a lot of bad luck and, you know, a lack of depth. So uh, that's just – that's me. It is what it is. I mean um... – you're not – this is what happened uh, – as far as the past two weeks, I've made no no um, variations whatsoever. This is what happens when you have a quarterback that has to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns and blah, 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 blah. All of this just to give your team a, uh, a competitive edge – going into the game. Well, you, just, well, you know what's you, ironic? I, was, I don't mean to interrupt, but you know what's ironic is, yeah, Breeze needs to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns and stuff, but he also needs a running game right now. Sure. You know, the, the offense is really terrible. The offense has had problems when they haven't been able to run the ball. You know, and uh, if you don't run the ball well, it, that's when Breeze starts throwing the interceptions. That's when Breeze starts pushing the ball and, and throwing the double coverage and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I just feel like we're very close. We need a really, really good draft, and I think that will get us over the hump. Um, well, not, you know, to put, not to put you on the spot, but um, in your your closest estimation – what kind of timetable are we looking at to uh, to to see this next level that we're all so eagerly? It's got to it's got to be twenty seventeen. It's twenty seventeen a bust. 
if yeah. if this team underachieves in 2017, if this team uh, if they blow the draft or they have they have a bad free agent class again, then then the team gets blown up. Um, I don't think the fans are going to be patient for anything past 2017. Uh, that that's four seasons. That's way too long to miss the playoffs. You've got to you've got to get it in 2017, and I think they have the ability to do it. I, I really do. Um, I do. Too. I think they're. I think with the with the salary cap, they're finally going to have the salary cap under control. Um, this is a deep defensive draft, just like this past uh, draft was. As long as they don't get crazy and start trading up to to grab people, they let the draft come to them um, and use all their picks. They should be able to rebuild the defense, uh, get that edge rusher, get that outside linebacker, get some cornerback depth. Um, you know, in the draft and in free agency, I think they can pick up uh, a couple of good guards. Um, not household names, just guys that they think are ready to take that next step forward. And you get a couple of good guards in there, um, and who knows what happens from there. Um, and I think you need that kick returner. You absolutely have to have a kick returner. Um, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll throw a name out there, and I'll let David track this name down. Um, it's a local kid for me, but Elijah McGuire from uh, UL Lafayette. Um, as a possible kick returner uh, slash third down back, he is not—he's not that game breaker you might think. But he has good hands. He has enough speed. Uh, I'm curious to see where he goes in the draft. It may be somebody that you know can do something. So yeah. uh, I know Mike Couturier likes him a lot. So we'll see what happens. All right, we went way over time. We had a 911 already, uh, and while that's a great car we can't go much longer because they'll cut us off uh well anything hey. you have to say as long, as, say as, long as we screw up going straight ahead i guess we're okay yep um <laughs> by the way anything you want to say before uh everyone notice my hmm? uh my accoutrements here um my happy yeah you look like a wizard yeah, yeah, I, I look like a yeah. Everybody, everybody wants a I ho look ho like ho. A crackhead on the south side. Yeah, there you um, go. There you go. Uh, and and the bald look is not much better. But um, we want to take this opportunity to thank you guys so very very much. Um, at this time of the year, uh, everybody is spending time with their friends and their family, and uh. And enjoying the holidays and the blessings that, that come with it. And um, strictly for my benefit, I want to tell you guys, the uh, one of the biggest blessings that I received this year was the opportunity to, uh, to stretch my legs, so to speak, uh, in this uh, project with, uh, with Alan. Um, we've... Uh, most people would say that was a curse, not a blessing, but anyway. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there was, there was no scope when we started. Um, it was just like, whatever happens, happens. And thanks to the uh, overwhelming support that we've gotten from our, uh, our Dome Nation group of folks there, uh, 
it's it's been 110 times uh, times better than I could have even remotely anticipated it being. And we thank you guys as always for supporting us, uh, following us, blah blah blah. Alan, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, you know, it's it's a great opportunity to talk more Saints football, and I'm having a lot of fun doing this. I want to thank you for letting me have the opportunity to do this and share this thing with you. Um, real quick, I just want to wish everybody a, a very Merry Christmas. Uh, I got to go see Star Wars Rogue One. I recommend that movie to people. Uh, go see that movie, um, even if you're if you're a Star Wars fan. If you're not a Star Wars fan, never seen any, if you've never seen any of the movies, which I can't imagine that your life is empty without that. But anyway, if you've never seen any of the movies, don't go see Rogue One and expect to know what the heck is going on <laughs> because it's like the old Republic serials. It's you know you have to know the whole story behind everything. Rogue One is something that takes place between episodes three and the original show, the original movie that came out in 1977, episode four. Uh, you know, you, you, so you really need to know those movies or, to understand what, what has happened. Um, but regardless, it's a very fun film. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked it better than The Force Awakens. And I didn't think The Force Awakens wow. was bad. I just didn't think it was that great because it borrowed on a lot of, you know, old wow. plots. But um, wow. that's me. I'm a Star Wars fan. I've been a Star Wars fan since 1977 when I was the ripe old age of nine and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, anyway, oh you guys have a very Merry <laughs> Christmas. Y'all be good out there. Go out there and watch the Saints play. Uh, I know it's Christmas Eve and all, and it's 3.35. I'm going to be there. Feel free to accost me and yell at me and tell me I don't know what the hell I'm talking about on these on these podcasts. <laughs> uh, I'm used to it. I've written political columns for a long time. People thought I was crazy with that, too. So um, thank you, guys. Thank you all so much for your support, man. You guys, uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. All right. Good night, everybody.